Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the Lord that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When has your soul uh, been troubled? Perhaps you're going through troubles right now. Maybe those troubles are coming to a head. Uh, Something that had been rumbling away for a while um, is now coming to a bitter end. Maybe you or a, or a loved one have been suffering with a particular health problem uh, for some months and the, and the GP has warned that, that everything points to this being a very serious condition. And now the definitive scan has been done and you're in the waiting room to see the consultant for that final diagnosis. And you can see from the nurse's face that it's It's going to be very bad news. Your soul is troubled. Or or perhaps you've been revising for a few weeks, but it's pretty hopeless, and every practice paper you try is a disaster, and exams are tomorrow, and you're going to fail, and you're troubled. Now, whatever it is, whichever end of that spectrum, those acute moments of trouble are likely to turn us to God to ask for help. Please save me from this crisis. I've I've coped so far, but this is too much. I don't understand why. Please take it away. And here we are in John 12, and for Jesus... The, the hour has come. So let's um, open up uh, that passage, if you haven't already. So it's page 1084 um, in the Church Bibles, uh, John 12, um, verse 27 to 36. The hour has come. Jesus has talked about this, um, this hour ever since his ministry began. Um, he said to his mother at that wedding in Cana, um, my hour has not yet come. And, and through the, the succeeding chapters, we, we've seen growing hints that um, at some point, Jesus will die. Uh, he will be killed. And that's the hour that is coming. Last week, we, we heard in verse 
23, the hour has come. And in, in skip ahead to chapter 13, verse 1, we're told his hour had come to depart out of this world. It's time to die. Not immediately. There's still a few days to go until the Friday of the crucifixion, but it, it is Passover week. And Jesus is in Jerusalem. And what had been hinted at, threatened, prophesied, is now about to happen. The crisis, the, the crunch point, the, the hour of his death has come. And Jesus is troubled. He's, um, in verse 27, he's carrying on the conversation that he started when Andrew and Philip came to him in verse 22. And, and a crowd must have gathered around him as he spoke with his disciples because in, in this passage, 27 to 36, we get three short comments from Jesus with a couple of interruptions from, from the crowd in between. So we're going to look at this passage in three headings. Uh, anguish, achievement, and appeal. So first of all, verses 27 and 28, the anguish of Jesus. The anguish of Jesus is real and purposeful. The hour has come, and now is Jesus' soul troubled. Troubled means deeply disturbed, uh, distressed, even terrified. This is, this is real. As he contemplates his death on the cross, Jesus is in anguish. And he prays to be spared from it. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. He's going through real torment as he thinks about what he's got to go through. Jesus is not some magical being who, who can go through the cross without the agony of pain. He's not some stoic or, or Buddhist philosopher who, who claims not to feel emotions. He's, he's real human flesh and feeling. And that matters for us because in the previous few verses, he's told us to follow him. He's told us that he's going to die, verse 24. And in 25 and 26, he's told us that we too are going to pay a huge cost if we follow him. It, it will be painful. It will trouble us. But he's not asking us to do anything that he hasn't done himself. He's not asking us to, to experience trials and suffering that he hasn't experienced. He's been there and it was real. The anguish was real and it's right for us to cry out to God to save us from it. Actually, Jesus was facing something so much worse than we can ever face. It wasn't just that he was going to be killed by crucifixion. Which, which was one of the most degrading and painful forms of, of execution devised. Physically, that's, that's far worse than any of us are likely to suffer. But so much worse than that, he was about to face God's judgment on the world. He says so in verse 31. He's, he's about to face God's judgment on sin, God's anger for all our rebellion against God. He's going to take that punishment on himself. Jesus will experience separation from his eternally loving father. He will suffer the wrath of God. And yet, even facing that, Jesus doesn't stop his prayer at 
Save me from this hour. Go to verse 27. He continues. But for this purpose, I've come to this hour. Jesus knows that his suffering has a purpose. It's why he's here. It's why he's going to die. It's why he's going to face God's judgment on the world. And when, when suffering is, is pointless, it's very difficult to deal with. When we're just shouting, why, at God, and we think we get no answer, why this cancer, why this divorce, why this redundancy? And sometimes we can, we can see that we have to go through something grim to get a benefit, uh, to go through the tunnel to the other side. You might undergo a pretty horrible operation uh, to remove the cancer. You dread the operation. You, you really don't want to go through it. You ask God if there's any, any way not to have to face it, but you know it's the only way, and you know there's a purpose. Even those exams, they might be horrible and stressful, but you know that once you've done them, it's the holidays. And to get to the end of term, you have to go through the exams. Purpose can make a sense of suffering. But what is the purpose in verse 27, what purpose could possibly make sense of the awfulness of the cross? Well, Jesus tells us clearly, doesn't he, in verse 28. He tells us by asking God to fulfill that purpose. Father, glorify your name. That's the purpose. That's what this hour is, is all about. Jesus said in verse 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. It's at the cross. It's, it's as Jesus is separated from the love of his Father that, that God the Son and God the Father are glorified. The hour has come. It's the hour of glory. It's, it's all about glorifying God. That's the point. That's the purpose behind all that God has done, does, and, and will do. So the Father answers Jesus' prayer, I have glorified my name, and I will glorify it again. It's God's plan to bring glory to his name, to display his majesty in all its wonder so that people would honor and worship him. And it's going to be at the cross where we see God most clearly glorified. And it's that purpose of, of God's glory that keeps Jesus going to the cross. That's the answer to his prayer. If there was any way to avoid the cross, Father, save me. But there isn't. This is the way to bring glory. This is what makes sense of it all. This is why he goes through with it. As, as we follow Jesus, there will be much that we will lose. The friendship of, of others, the the promotion we wanted. In some countries, maybe, maybe one day again in this country, you could lose your job, your family, your life. But like Jesus, let's keep asking for God's name to be glorified through those difficult circumstances. Help me understand how in my, my illness, my financial insecurity, in the mocking or bullying I, I suffer at, at school, Please help me see how this might bring glory to you. 
How, how can I show your name to be great? How can I witness to your wonderful majesty? Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's what the whole Christian life is about. In, in every aspect of our lives, that should be our purpose. In the guidance we seek, in the decisions we make, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And Jesus has set the example for us to follow as we live that out. His suffering is the road to glory. And it's not just words. Jesus is feeling the agony here of, of what he's about to suffer. And a few days' time, he, he will die. And so he prays. He prays for God's purpose to be worked out and God's name to be glorified. So let's look now at that second heading, verses 29 to 33, to think more about how God is glorified, how the cross is the hour of glory. So the achievement, the achievement of Jesus is global and final. God has just declared in verse 28, that he will glorify his name at the cross, but the crowd don't hear, or they don't understand. It's thunder. It's an angel. Presumably, at least some of the disciples heard and understood, if not then, um, later, because God spoke for their benefit more than Jesus's. The early Christians were were mocked for worshipping a, a crucified God. It was shameful. It was stupid. The Jews expected the Messiah to be a, a triumphant king ruling forever, as we see in verse 34. And the cross is a stumbling block. And to the Romans and Greeks, it's just foolish. And, and today, the idea of Jesus dying on the cross for us in our place, taking our punishment on himself, that's, that's seen as foolish. Even among many who say they're Christians, it's a, it's a barbaric nonsense to our non-believing friends. So we need to hear God say, no, it's not nonsense. This is where I glorify my name. It's where my son is lifted up, verse 32, literally lifted up on a cross and lifted up in glory, exalted in glory. The cross is not an embarrassing mistake. It's not an unfortunate accident. This is what I planned and it's all for my glory. It's where God judges the world. So it's global. It's final. This is it. This is what it's all about. That's the central point of history where God brings about his plan to restore creation. The whole world will be renewed because of the cross. Two things in, in these verses. The ruler of this world, the devil, will be cast out. And Jesus will draw all people to himself. That's the judgment being worked out. The victory is won. The devil is defeated. And God's people are gathered and given new life. And it's won because Jesus died. Because Jesus went through the anguish of taking our punishment in our place. So instead of God's judgment falling on, on me for my sin, it, it fell on Jesus. It's at the cross that, that God's judgment, God's anger against sin was demonstrated, but it was 
Jesus who took it so that I don't have to. He took my sin on himself and bore the punishment I deserved, which means the punishment has been taken. My sin has been dealt with, so the devil is defeated. He no longer has any hold over God's people. He no longer has any grounds for accusing us. Jesus has taken our punishment, and God has declared us righteous. God sees us through the perfection of Jesus. He, he counts us as sinless. So the devil's got nothing on us. He's lost his power. There's no longer any guilt or shame or condemnation for those who follow Jesus. And Jesus draws his people to himself. Drawn to Jesus. Not, not just forgiven, but drawn into Jesus. Sharing in his resurrection life. Enjoying the amazing relationship that Jesus has with his father. That relationship of, of eternal love and joy. He draws us in. The devil is cast out. And we're drawn to Jesus. That's the glory of the cross. The hour of glory. This is what shows God to be God. What shows him in that glorious technicolor. That, that rainbow through the prism. Our God is not just a, a powerful force or a clever philosophy. He's the God who hates sin and evil and destroys it utterly. And he's the God who loves and saves his people and brings them to share in his glorious life. That's the glorious purpose that Jesus died for. That's his glorious achievement. And it's global. It's good news for the whole world. The devil had ruled the whole world in fear and futility, in darkness, in death. Ever since he whispered those lies to Eve in Eden, he's corrupted the whole world. And that's over. And now Jesus is drawing all people, all kinds of people from all over the world Christianity is not some parochial religion for those who lived in first century Judea. It's for all God's people across all history and all countries. It's, it's for those sheep from other folds that we read about in chapter 10. It's for God's children who are scattered abroad in chapter 11, verse 52. It's global. And it's final in the sense that Jesus' death on the cross is definitive. It's, it's not that the devil has gone completely and there's still much sin and suffering in the world. That's why we still suffer anguish as we follow Jesus. And it's not that all God's people have already been drawn to him. There are many still to come. We're, we're living in this now, but not yet. Jesus has won the victory, but it's not over yet. There will be a reckoning when Jesus returns at the end of time. But Jesus' death on the cross is the definitive judgment on which that judgment of, of all people at the end of time is based. The judgment we face when we die is, is based on the judgment that Jesus suffered at the cross. Have we accepted Jesus' death for us or not? Have I accepted the forgiveness that he won for me on the cross? Am I sharing in the life that he gives me because of the cross? There's no other criteria of judgment. We're either in Christ or not. We either follow him or not. 
We're either saved by his death on the cross or not. Which leads to our third heading, the appeal. Verses 34 to 36. The appeal of Jesus is urgent and serious. Uh, Jesus has, has just explained what the glorious achievements that his death will achieve are. And in case there are any doubt what his lifting up is, in, in verse 33, John explains it's his death on the cross. But again, the crowd don't get it. They, they do seem to understand, don't they, that Jesus is claiming to be the Son of Man. Um, he described himself as the Son of Man in verse 23. And the, the, the crowd seem to understand that that means he's also claiming to be the Christ, God's chosen King. Son of man, the Christ, same person. But what doesn't make sense to them is that he's just been speaking about his death. The Old Testament says that the Christ remains forever. So how can, how can you say that the Son of Man will be killed? If the Christ remains forever, he can't die. So who is this Son of Man? I don't think they're asking this in the sense of who, who is the Son of Man? No, they know full well that it's Jesus who's making the claim, but in the sense of, who is this son of man? What sort of Christ is this? This isn't the Christ we want. We want an all-conquering, Roman-defeating Christ, not one that dies. Um, after recent American elections, whichever side wins, uh, there seem to be demonstrations from those who lost, uh, shouting, not my president. Jesus has just declared the hour has come for the most amazing victory ever, and they're shouting, not my son of man, not my Christ. It's so tragic. Jesus has just explained that his death is no failure. It's the hour of God's glory. It's when judgment comes. It's a victory of all evil, not just over the Romans. It's the gathering of all his people, not just the Jews. But they want none of it. Who is this son of man? I see how Jesus answers the question. Look at verse 35. Um, he doesn't. He's just told them. Actually, he's been telling them for several chapters. He's the son of man who dies for his people. He's the grain of wheat that dies to bear much fruit. He's the good shepherd who dies for his sheep. So, so now it's decision time. I'm not going to keep explaining that to you. I'm just going to ask, do you, do you believe in this Son of Man or not? Stop looking for other Christs. Believe in Jesus. Believe in the light, verse 36. John's already told us about the light. Right back in chapter 1, he said that true light has come into the world. And in chapter 8, we saw Jesus is the light of the world. Whoever follows him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. When Jesus told them that in chapter 8, he warned them that he'd be going away. And if they didn't believe in him, they would die in their sins. And he warns them again here, he's going away. Jesus the light is only with them for a, a little longer. In a few days, he'll be killed. He'll, he'll rise again and he'll return to his father. And then if you just look ahead to the second half of verse 36... Jesus acts out the, the urgency of this. He departs and he hides himself from them. 
this is urgent. Make the most of your opportunity, he's telling them. Walk while you have the light. Jesus is with you now. Believe in him now. Because if you don't, darkness will overtake you. If you walk in darkness, you don't know where you're going. I guess we've all experienced that, fumbling around in the dark at night when you, you can't find the light switch. Um, my, my father was a, a pastor. When I was seven or eight, um, I'd gone to find my dad in the church office one evening. Um, it was dark. I didn't know where the lights were. I knew the layout of the, sort of the main meeting room, so an aisle down the middle, and there was uh, an, a door into the office corridor over on the right. And I was happily walking along until, bang... I fell four feet down into the um, baptistry, which for some reason had been left open and actually unhappily empty um, because it was hard and painful. And the fact that I remember that 40-something years later seriously scarred me. Now, okay, that wasn't so serious. But Jesus' warning is very serious. If you don't follow him... If you don't walk in the light, darkness will overtake you. Or, or it can mean master you. Like, um, like the power of the ring had mastered the Nazgul. The darkness of Sauron had, had overtaken them. They became shadows, husks emptied of their humanity. And the devil wants to empty us of our humanity, to corrupt and destroy us. And that's where we're heading if we're not in the light to die in our sins. That's more serious than, than the worst financial crash, than the worst diagnosis. Because it's eternal. It's bearing the punishment for sin ourselves, separated from God forever. So if you don't yet follow Jesus, please know that he is the only answer to that. He's the only Christ, he's the only light, the only one who's defeated sin and, and the only one who gives his people new life. Come to him and walk in the light. And if you are following Jesus, as most of us are, let's live as sons of light, his people like Jesus, living day by day to bring glory to God. When things are difficult, when things seem easy, Whatever we do, do all for the glory of God. Jesus glorified God most clearly on the cross when he defeated Satan and gathered God's people to himself. We will glorify God as we sin less and live more like Jesus. That's, that's the, the all of life worship that God wants, that glorifies him. Jesus defeated the devil at the cross, but the devil hasn't given up. There's still much sin and suffering. So walking in the light and not in the darkness will mean daily turning our back on sin. It means, it means growing in our hatred of sin, the sin that, that sent Jesus to the cross. It means recognizing more and more where we need to repent and asking God to help us stop sinning again. And when there's anguish, 
where we face opposition because we're Christians. Walking in the light means coming to God in prayer and asking for his strength to keep going for his glory. That in our suffering, we would grow to be more and more like Jesus. That we would pray for God's purposes to be worked out and his name glorified. Jesus drew his people to himself at the cross. And we see this worked out day by day as people come to him. So walking in the light means living for Jesus and speaking for Jesus, drawing others to him, loving each other as he loved us, loving others as ourselves, showing that, showing that love and that light to others, telling them about Jesus and what he's done for us. That's the appeal. It's urgent and it's serious. Don't walk in the darkness. Walk in the light now for your good and God's glory. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you that Jesus glorified your name at the cross. Thank you that he went through the anguish of the cross to defeat Satan and save us. Please help us to walk in the light, to worship you, to glorify you day by day as we live more like Jesus and help others to know and follow him too. Amen.